Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at CAF President Patrice Motsepe's plans for a new infrastructure project with a budget of $1 billion aiming to change the face of African football. But how will it work and where will the money come from? Also, we assess the draw for the football competitions at the Tokyo Olympics with the African teams all in tricky-looking groups. And we hear from Nigeria and Fulham defender Ala Aina, who's still hopeful of avoiding relegation with Fulham. I think Fulham are we're in a good space. We have a good team, good coach, good, um, good manager. So we just have to keep going and working and, and, and trying to get the points. That's coming later, plus Stewart on this weekend's game between Manchester United and Liverpool and a look at Odion Igalu's journey to Saudi Arabia from Manchester United. But first we start with a story on the new CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, speaking of a new infrastructure project with a budget of $1 billion with the aim of changing the face of African football. Now, Motsepe was in Morocco last weekend, where he met the president of the Royal Moroccan Football Federation and member of the FIFA Council, Fauzi Lekjar, who will oversee the project. Here's Motsepe speaking in a CAF promotional video. My brother, Fauzi, uh, he's the head of the finance committee. He's uh, uh, one of our leaders representing CAF in, in FIFA. And also there's a lot of things that uh, where he's taking leadership to help uh, on infrastructure in the continent to make sure that uh, the fields, the pitches where our people play football on the continent, development, infrastructure, uh, we have to improve the quality of, uh, of our players, but it starts with the fields on which they play. And uh, we'll also be announcing in due course the focus on academies, youth, both boys and girls, and uh, the partnerships with the private sector. It's very, very important. So that's Patrice Motsepe. And, uh, well, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino spoke last year of a project to give each country in Africa a new stadium, uh, something that certainly is desperately needed in countries like here in Zimbabwe. But to questions on Motsepe's vision that pop up here, uh, first, is it the job of CAF to develop infrastructure? And where will the $1 billion come from? Uh, what do you make of this, Ida? Well, Steve, maybe it's the intent, you know, at least initially, to keep this project laced in a bit of mystery because there are definitely more questions than answers because there actually hasn't been any official communication, you know, that what Motsepe is talking about is the same project that Gianni Infantino mentioned, you know, back in 2020. But, of course, one can only make logical conclusions because let's not forget that just a few days after making the trip to Morocco, Motsepe was in Doha, Qatar. You know, accompanying FIFA president Infantino, though that was to the FIFA Arab draw that, you know, will also include some African 
African teams. And while I'm sure that if it were to happen, it would definitely be a welcome move, Steve, it's still important to evaluate whether infrastructure development actually falls under football's governing bodies, you know, whether continentally, CAF in this case, or globally, FIFA. Because ideally, what happens, Steve, when a country is selected to host a big tournament, you know, say the Afghan or even the World Cup? Well, the successful bid is usually because the powers that be deem the host country to, one, already have some form of stable infrastructure, and two, definitely be able to develop more. So with this, are we then seeing CAF's job description changing? Next, as you've asked, Steve, what is the source of the funding? Is it from FIFA? If so, will other continents also be in line, something similar to what we've seen, let's say, with the FIFA Forward program? Will this, Steve, be a phased project? Because while $1 billion might sound like an incredible amount of money, Realistically, it's actually quite meager for a project that's of continental magnitude. We look at the Cape Town Stadium, for example, cost more than $600 million. Steve, that's more than half the budget already gone. And while I'm sure the stadiums wouldn't be of that level, I mean, we'd probably be looking at 5,000, 7,000 seater sort of stadiums, which is what most of Africa needs right now anyway, if you ask me. One billion dollars, Steve, might accommodate just the first phase. So, as I've said, definitely more questions than answers. Indeed. So one billion dollars might not actually get you that many stadiums, though I must say I thought it sounded like a lot of money at first. Uh, Right now, last week on the show, we had so much to talk about with the European Super League story. So we weren't able to talk about the draw for the football competitions at the Tokyo Olympics, with the Games rescheduled to start on the 23rd of July. Uh, So in the men's tournament, there are three African teams. South Africa are in Group A with the hosts Japan, Mexico and France. Egypt are in Group C with Spain, Argentina and Australia. And in Group D, Ivory Coast are with Brazil, Germany and Saudi. Arabia. Uh, the women's tournament has 12 teams in three groups. One African team there, that's Zambia. Uh, they're drawn alongside China, Brazil and the Netherlands. Well, Zambia's women are there for the first time. Here's their coach Bruce Mwapi speaking after a recent friendly against South Africa. Our coming here was uh, basically to assist some of our junior players. We still need uh, to look at the uh, uh, other players. Babla Banda has been our key player even during the, the qualification. But we still have some more players like uh, Kundananji. She's also a very good uh, uh, striker. And uh, Helen Mbanga, also playing in Spain, she's uh, one of our best strikers. So the Zambia coach still considering his options for the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, well, Ida, it was always going to be a tough draw for the African teams in the men's and the women's categories. Tough, yes, but Steve, there's always a soft spot and some hope with the Olympics, you know, because it is one of those premier tournaments where an African team actually went on to win it. You know, this, of course, being Nigeria, who won gold back in 1996. Well, Steve, the Super Eagles not in it this time, but I can't really decide what the group of death is, you know, between 
Egypt and the Ivory Coast groups because, wow, you know, uh, you look at Egypt and they will be taking on 1992 gold medalist Spain. Two-time winners Argentina and, of course, Australia, while Ivory Coast will be taking on defending champions Brazil. That's always going to be a tough one. Uh, Germany, who can never be underrated no matter the tournament, and uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, it will also be interesting, Steve, another dynamic, to see whether some of the stars of these teams will actually be released. Because we saw Egypt, for example, make an official request to Liverpool to have Mo Salah playing Tokyo. But, Steve, in these corona times, a situation that we all know ordinarily would be tricky enough becomes even more so. As for Zambia's Copper Queens, well, Steve, I remember our conversation when they qualified, you know, and just how amazing that was. Now, I think that their maiden experience might be all about soaking it all in, you know, just playing at that global stage. However, stranger things have happened. You never know. They might have totally different plans of causing some upsets. So, Steve, this is one tournament that I'm definitely looking forward to. Yeah, always reason to be optimistic when it comes to Africa in the football tournaments at the Olympics. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Nigeria defender Ola Aina on Fulham's slim chances of survival. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and our website is planetsport.tv and in the blog section there you can read Russ Bravo's blog on why the European Super League would have killed the dream after the drama of last week with the Super League folding a couple of days after it launched. That's on our website planetsport.tv. You click on the blog section on the right to get there. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Right to social media now. And last week we asked, do we need an African Super League? Now, while those plans for the European Super League resulted in a huge outcry and the end of the project in the space of three days, the FIFA president Gianni Infantino last year spoke of plans to start an African Super League. 20 or maybe 24 top clubs would pay $20 million a year to take part with great revenue anticipated. But if it failed in Europe, does Africa need a Super League? Would there be benefits and would it work in Africa? We had another huge response on this topic and with your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Uh, thanks, uh, Steve. And we start today on uh, Facebook with uh, Seleke Kamara in Liberia, who says, yes, we need the Super League here because uh, the poverty rates are too hard on us and this will help to improve our various domestic leagues. And Yasser Daouda in Nigeria agrees, yes, this is a welcome development for African countries, says Yasser. Another in agreement is Abra Enest in Ghana, who says, this can help African teams to develop. It can help to build teams and pay good salaries to players. Ado R. Ado in Nigeria is also positive. Yes, it will help generate funds for the teams, says Ado. And Fofana Hamid Hamid in Indonesia takes the same line. Yes, of course, says Fofana. And Tesloch Kuth Chul in Ethiopia says, it's a good idea. But Gastino Lokoronko Koko in Uganda disagrees. I don't think so, says Gastino. 
because while some will join the Super League, others will not. This is segregation. So Gastino commenting there on the financial ability, or otherwise, of clubs to join. And Carlos Curtis is also against the African Super League. We should only build facilitate and invest in more African soccer academies and then African football will rise says Carlos well to WhatsApp now and Abrima Fati in the Gambia believes African football has more important priorities I think what African football needs the most at the moment instead of the Super League is restructuring a grassroots development and infrastructure says Abrima but like the saying goes one man's meat is another man's poison the Super League structure, which has failed in Europe, may be the catalyst needed to save African football, as neither the fans nor the clubs would rebuff an opportunity to earn proper sponsorship and match day revenue, a luxury most African football clubs do not currently enjoy. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Alimani Fofana in the Gambia. Well, this is very simple because... If this Super League is going to benefit the players on the African continent, why not? I don't want the African clubs to do something for their own selfish interests. Let them look for something which is going to benefit Africa as a whole. Let them go and sit with these people who bring this league and discuss with it if it's going to benefit Africa as a whole. Why not? Let's take part. Anything to improve our football and market our players out there. If the league is going to bring all those things, why not? We are going to embrace it. But if you don't bring anything like that, we don't need it. So, Alimani, welcoming the African Super League as long as it benefits the players and Africa as a whole. Uh, but Momo Komrabai Kamara in Sierra Leone is not in favor. Absolutely, it will not work in Africa, says Momo, because some football teams in Africa struggle to pay their players and some would not be able to do it. Also, some clubs struggle to raise money and also in terms of managing their team's affairs. And you know that in Africa, we have some financial challenges, not only for club teams, but at national level also. And here's another voice note, uh, this time from Ebrima Kante in the Gambia. This big Super League issue totally against it. And for the FIFA president to also, you know, suggest that the Super League may happen in Africa if Europeans... I say no to Super League. Why we the Africans will allow it? If they FIFA and UEFA swiftly, you know, make press release condemning this Super League issue, I also want to see them, you know, doing the same in Africa. There will be no Super League in Africa. If they are against it in Europe, we are also against it in Africa. So Abrima, they very strongly against the concept of an African Super League, and Aprem Bismack in Ghana agrees. It will never succeed in Africa, says Aparem. Firstly, the asking price is very huge for some clubs to afford it. And secondly, if it failed in Europe, it will never succeed in Africa. But finally, Andrew Jassy in the Gambia says that an African Super League could bring positive benefits to the whole continent. Yes, says Andrew, Africa needs a Super League to groom young talents in helping their countries to be competitive on the world stage. It will help us in competitions like the World Cup, Africa Cup of Nations and the Under-17-20 Championships. So, yes, I think this is a good idea from the president of FIFA when clubs in Africa compete this will give room to many good african players who are not able to make it to go to europe to play for other clubs in africa
Uh, so there you have it, uh, Steve. The views we received on this topic are pretty much split 50-50. But it's interesting to note that while almost everyone commenting on the European Super League last week was against the idea, there are many this week who would like to see an African Super League get underway across the continent. Yeah, thanks, Ephraim. That's very interesting. That's a Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. More views on this on the show next week. And uh, just a quick one, Ephraim. Any chance you think of Fulham surviving in the English Premier League? Well, Steve, it's not looking promising for Fulham. I know mathematically they're still in with a chance. But let's look at the circumstances surrounding their relegation fight. They're seven points behind Brighton, their nearest rivals. That means their destiny is not in their hands. They need a Brighton to go on a losing streak and they need to go on a winning run. It's five games to the end of the season. That means that time is running out. Let's look at the games that they're supposed to win whilst Brighton are on a losing run. One of the games is Chelsea away. One of the games is Manchester United away in the next four games. I just can't see them going to Stamford Bridge or Old Trafford and picking up six points there. I know that Scott Parker, the head coach, said that they're not giving up on the fight, but the sun is setting pretty fast for this Fulham team. Yeah, not looking good. Uh, thanks, Ephraim. Right, uh, now then to our interview with Fulham and Nigeria defender Ola Aina, who's on loan from Torino in Italy. Well, Aina spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji. And before we get on to Fulham and their chances, Aina first talked about the thrill of playing for the Super Eagles at the 2019 Nations Cup Finals in Egypt. Of course, you know, playing in AFCOM was was a, was a big thing for me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, um, you know, if you get to another one, then that will be, be very good as well. How difficult is it for you in the pandemic to switch from club football, you know, in, into international football? How difficult is it mentally for the players? I don't think it's that difficult, you know. Um, obviously, there's been restrictions on a few things, but, you know, the, fo- the football is still the same, you know. Even if the, the pandemic wasn't here, we would still have the same schedules coming in March. So um, I, I think it's I think it's it's been okay. Yeah, I think everyone's getting getting used to it. Fighting relegation isn't the thing that any footballer wants to be dealing with. I mean, you you come to a club like Fulham, you you're picking up valuable points sometimes, and then sometimes it's difficult. How rough is it fighting for points, scrapping for points as the season you know gets towards the end? Yeah, it's it's. You know, it gets it gets tough sometimes, but you know, it's it's a challenge that I, I, I embrace and I, I look forward to. Um, obviously, you know, the, the end of the season is coming now, so naturally, you know, it begin it starts to become a, a bit of a um, a panic for for most. But I think Fulham are we're in a good space. We have a good team, good coach, good um, good manager. So we just have to keep going and working and and, and trying to get the points. Well, that's Ala Aina speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji. Well, let's go to Stuart Weir in the UK now. And uh, Stuart Aina still positive on Fulham's chances of surviving. Ola Aina has had an excellent season for Fulham, playing 29 league games and scoring two goals. Born in London 24 years ago and signed by Chelsea while still a teenager, but four years at Chelsea only gave him three substitute appearances for the Blues. He had a season on loan at Hull City and then in 2018 was loaned to Torino in Italy, who subsequently made the deal permanent. He played over 60 times in Serie A before coming on loan to Fulham. He's certainly right that it's been a tough season for Fulham, promoted from the championship last season via the playoffs. And with five games to go, they are seven points behind Brighton and safety. 
But it's a game of fine margins, and two weeks ago, Fulham were winning at Aston Villa with just 13 minutes to go and lost the game. And similarly, last week, they were beating Arsenal 1-0 until Arsenal equalised in the last minute of the game. Those five points that got away would have made such a difference to the chances of surviving. But with five games remaining against Chelsea, Burnley, Southampton, Manchester United and Newcastle United, when they need realistically at least three wins and a draw, it's going to be tough. But I liked what Ola said about embracing the challenge, and the club has certainly done that. And I would agree with his assessment that Fulham are in a good space with a good manager. Which means that even if they go down, they must have a great chance of coming back up again. And Fulham, you know, have been one of those clubs which they say look too good for the Championship, but not quite good enough for the Premier League. In 2014, they were relegated. Then after four seasons in the Championship, promoted back to the Premier League in 2018, relegated in 2019, promoted in 2020, and are now fighting to avoid relegation in 2021. But Fulham have brought a lot of good things to the Premier League this year. It would be great to see them survive, but whatever happens, I shouldn't be surprised to see them establishing themselves as a Premier League club over the next few seasons. Well, yes, they have certainly put up a fight in a lot of games, have Fulham. And to another Nigerian, a few months ago, Nigeria forward Odion Igalo was playing for Manchester United. Now he's in Saudi Arabia. Uh, tell us a bit about that move, Stuart. Well, yes, Igalo left Manchester United at the end of his one-year loan spell. The Nigerian striker, of course, made his name in the Premier League playing for Watford and scoring 36 Premier League goals in three seasons. Then he went to China for three years. At Manchester United, he got 12 substitute appearances in the Premier League, but never started the game and never scored. He did get five goals in cup games, and he's now playing in Saudi Arabia for Al-Shabaab, and he's already scored three goals in eight appearances there. In a recent interview with Sky Sports, he said there wasn't really much possibility of staying on at Manchester United because I wanted more playing time. At my age, I need to play and not just sit on the bench. And I didn't want to be there just picking up a salary. I wanted to be involved. But, he said, I'm so happy that my path crossed with Manchester United because it's a club that I love with all my heart. Perhaps it was unfair that I didn't play so much, but I'm grateful for the opportunity. Igalo also claimed that he could have gone to West Ham or West Brom before opting to sign a two-and-a-half-year contract with the Saudi Professional League Club. He added that being at Manchester United the biggest club in England would have made it difficult for him to join any other Premier League club. We wish him well in his new career. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Ivory Coast and Cardiff defender Sol Bamba has been going through challenging times, Stuart. Yes, uh, Sol Bamba has had a long and distinguished career. Born in France, he opted to play for Cote d'Ivoire, making 48 appearances for that country. Most of his career has been in the UK, first in Scotland with Dunfermline and Hibernian. In England, he's played for Leicester City, Leeds United and Cardiff City, as well as brief spells in Italy and Turkey. But towards the end of last year, Saul was having a problem with back pain and after some tests was rather surprised at the result when he was told that he had a rare form of cancer. But his reaction was, it can't be cancer. I'm fit and healthy. Then quite quickly he said, right, what's the next step? How do I get better? 
He's recently finished a set of six grueling chemotherapy sessions and is due to have a scan any time now to determine if the treatment has been successful. He described his reaction to the first session of chemo as, I went to bed for a rest and woke up four days later. No food, no drink. But the good news is he resumed light training this month. As he put it, the doctor told me as long as I could social distance, I could warm up with the team and do a passing drill. It was the best 25 minutes of my life to be back playing, he said. Bamba has ambitions to go into management when his career ends and has been using his rehab time to work on his UEFA B coaching license. But he's not ready to stop playing for some time and uh, he's really hoping that a positive result of the scan will get him back in the Cardiff City team. Oh, well, let's hope so. And all of us here at Planet Sport Football Africa wish us Sol Bamba all the best. Uh, right to the UEFA Champions League now then. So a 1-1 draw between Real Madrid and Chelsea and a 2-1 away win for Man City over Paris Saint-Germain. What do you make of those of first legs in the semi-finals, Stuart? Well, the possibility of a Champions League final between two English clubs is alive and well. Chelsea drew 1-1 away to Real Madrid with their Senegalese goalkeeper, Edouard Mondé, having a fine game. Home advantage in the second leg is somewhat diminished, of course, by playing in an empty stadium, but Chelsea just need a nil-nil or a win by any score to be in the final. Manchester City came from a goal down at half-time to beat Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. Riyad Mahrez, City's Algerian player, scored the winning goal when his free kick somehow went straight through the Paris Saint-Germain wall. The French team's task was made more difficult in the second half when the Senegalese midfield player, Edrisa Gay, received a straight red for a studs-up tackle. Yeah, tough games and the second legs are coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, To the English Premier League and it's Manchester United-Liverpool on Sunday. That's the big one this weekend. And uh, Liverpool certainly not doing themselves any favours in the top four race, conceding a late equaliser to Newcastle last weekend, Stuart. Manchester United-Liverpool is one of the big rivalries in English football, so a game between the two is always significant. While Manchester United will have home advantage in these days without crowds, that's less significant. The result will make little difference to Manchester United, who seem likely to finish second in the table come what may. But for Liverpool, currently in sixth place and four points behind Chelsea, a defeat could do serious damage to their chances of Champions League football next year. As you say, Liverpool did themselves no favours last weekend, leading for most of the game against Newcastle United before conceding a very late equaliser. And it could have been worse for Liverpool as Newcastle's Callum Wilson had a goal disallowed because the Liverpool goalkeeper Allison knocked the ball against Wilson's arm before he scored. While it was a totally accidental handball, it resulted in the goal being disallowed. But just to show you how complicated this is, Had the ball rebounded for another Newcastle player to score, the goal would still have been disallowed. However, next season, under a law change, Wilson scoring after the ball hit Wilson's arm would be disallowed. But someone else scoring after the ball hit Wilson's arm, the goal would stand. Just work that one out for me. (laughs) Um, I think I need a while to think about that and to process that, Stuart. And uh, what else have you got for us? 
When Anwar Al-Ghazi scored a penalty for Aston Villa against West Brom, it was the 107th penalty of the season in the Premier League. And that number is on track to be the largest number of penalties ever in a Premier League season. The most was 112 in 2007, but with still about 50 games to go, I'm sure we'll beat that. Another statistic is that there have been 128 away wins in the Premier League as against 121 home wins. As we've said previously, it seems that the reason for away wins is that the lack of spectators has reduced the benefit of home advantage. And the reason for the extra penalties is both the intervention of VAR and changes to the interpretation of handball. Manchester City duly won their first trophy of the season, the League Cup, beating Tottenham 1-0 in the final. Pep Guardiola has always shown more respect to the League Cup than other managers, normally choosing a very competitive group of players. And he's been rewarded by seeing City win the trophy for the fourth year in a row. The final was watched by just over 8,000 spectators in the stadium, another stage on the journey towards the restoration of fans. Incidentally, in winning the League Cup for the third year in succession, City's first win was before he became manager, Guardiola joined managerial legends Brian Clough, Alex Ferguson and Jose Mourinho as those who have won the League Cup three times. Tottenham, on the other hand, have played in the League Cup final in 2009, 2015, 2021, as well as the Champions League final in 2019 and have not managed a goal in any of the four finals. Oh dear, so Tottenham not doing well in finals. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Spurs playing Sheffield United this weekend. And the big one of the weekend, Manchester United-Liverpool on Sunday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.